Meet our mom, Kelly Hutchison. She is a life coach. She is a child counselor. She is a teacher. She's a parent coach. And she's a mom to us. She will teach you to stop yelling at your kids. She will teach you to get your kids to lesson. She will teach you how to never sleep with mommy guilt again. She will teach you how to be an imperfect mom. So you can help your kids be imperfect too. And have harmony in the home. Hi everyone, welcome to episode four. Can you believe this? This is so much fun and the feedback and the response, my love cup from all of you is so full. I am just like humbled and honored and I cannot believe that this is my classroom. So you are so helping me scratch that itch of what I loved when I was helping in the classroom and just proving to me over and over and over how much God has just blown the doors off my classroom and I say it over and over but it's just so true. And so thank you for giving me that gift. And I hope that I'm giving you the gift of peace and seeing the light and realizing there, there's nothing wrong with your children and there's nothing wrong with you. That's the best news I have for you because I spent so many years thinking that there was something wrong with my kids. And I love the quote by Glenn and Melton. It goes something along the lines of, don't be so worried about raising a good kid and forget that you already have one. And I'm totally butchering it, but she does, says it so much more eloquently because she's an amazing writer. That just struck me so strongly because sometimes our brains are working against us. Actually, they're working against us a lot of the times. And that's what I'm going to talk to you tonight about is the brain and how the brain works against us. It's really, really eye-opening. Um, this comes from the work of Mel Robbins, Dr. Shafali, Brooke Castillo, Brene Brown, Tony Robbins, so many different thought leaders who have just, I've consumed their books. I've been obsessed with their books. I've gone to their events. I've gone to their workshops. I've watched all their YouTubes. My addictive personality takes over when I find something. I'm like a dog in heat that just wants more information and more information and more information because when I get a little aha, I'm like going after the lightning bolt. I just keep going and going and going because I'm so fascinated by the fact that if you looked at my life today versus 2013, it's completely unrecognizable. Yet I have the same husband, the same kids, the same house, the same me, yet everything has changed. Nothing has changed in my external world, but everything's changed in my internal world. And that was what was super empowering about finding out this about me was after reading the book, The Conscious Parent, I mean, it was like lightning bolt after lightning bolt. I was like, I need to get in a lightning bolt secure place because it was just so many lightning bolts that I couldn't even believe. And I realized I went, I read the book. And if you haven't read the book, you know I talk about the book all the time because it changed the entire trajectory of my life. I was so glad that Lily and Grady were so difficult because Dr. Shafali always says that the pain is your greatest portal to growth. 
pain and being uncomfortable is why we seek change. When we're comfortable and everything's going smoothly, then we're like, this is awesome. I'm going to keep doing this. But in the struggle is where the strength is built. And I remember reading Dr. Shafali's book, The Conscious Parent. And I remember having a sense of guilt, like, oh my goodness, it's me. After all this controlling Kelly going on and all this finagling, all this agenda and all these manuals, I think it might be me. I can't believe it's me. It can't be me. I would go through this like, it can't be me. It might be me. Could it be me? And then I had a, it went from guilt, like, oh my gosh. And then it, not, it was so much guilt, but it was also so much more pressure I was putting on myself. Like here I am, I doubled down on the mom, like the mom job. I was like, all right, I'm just going to double down. I'll be the, I'll be the all-star teacher, volunteer. I'll be the all-star at the church. I'll be the all-star wife. I'll be the all-star team mom. I'll be all the things, everything external to fill the void of how small I felt on the inside. I'll do all the things and I doubled down. And then I was like, wait a minute, this is feeling so empty. And I remember after reading the book, like after doubling down, it can't be me. It can't be me. It can't be me. And then I was like, wait a minute. If I'm the problem, then that means I'm the solution. I don't have to control the universe. I just have to control my side of the street. I just have to control the tree that the apples are living in. Are you kidding me? And that sense of empowerment and all that controlling energy. And I just turned the mirror onto me. I was like, oh my goodness, this is so empowering. And I want to give that gift to you. Not that I'm your child's guru, your child, the parent expert, but I want you to look in the mirror and see yourself as the parent expert and the parent and the child guru. And the child that you have is the exact child that you were meant to have. There are no accidents. Their throbbing spirit is here to teach us and teach you where you, you need to grow the most. And that's a big pill to swallow. But like if the other side of that pill is harmony, then I'm like, I'll have a pill a day. If I just have to drop my ego, are you kidding me? And so I learned a lot about the ego in the conscious parent. And for me, the, the ego before the conscious parent, I didn't even know what the ego was. The ego is always living inside of everybody and it screams out, I'm not good enough. You're not good enough. Who do you think you are? Why are you playing so big? Go play small. Stop all this growing. Stop all this learning. Just coast a little bit. And the ego is always trying to make us play small. When I always thought the ego was someone in a business suit, a macho man who thought he was too cool for school. And the ego is actually the opposite. The ego is actually making us feel so small and insignificant and then it goes out and seeks validation of that. And we seek validation of that through our closest relationships and our most vulnerable relationships. And we seek to find that. And so you're always going to find it what you're looking for. And the brain, which I've learned so much through Brooke Castillo and Mel Robbins' work and Tony Robbins' work and so many others about how the brain works and how our brains think they're trying to protect us, but they're actually working against us. I was so offended when I found that out. I was like, say what? My brain that I was born with is working against me to achieve my goals and to, and to have 
results in life? Like, what? What are you talking about? And so I realized through all of this work, you have to understand my addictive personality of reading and consuming a book a week, listening to podcast after podcast, because I found like with every podcast and with every aha, it was so exciting to find my blind spots. And because with every, you don't know what you don't know and nothing changes if nothing changes. So it's like before I was doing personal development and listening to podcasts and listening to books, I was, it felt like Groundhog's Day. I'm like, same people, same problems, different day. And I remember thinking, I'm giving them all my power, all my control. And I'm like literally at the mercy of what their mood is when they wake up for the day. And when you're dealing with a toddler, I mean, that is, I could change every minute. And that's why I was so exhausted by the end of the day because I was on their roller coaster. And so I realized that the brain, our brain, your brain, Oprah's brain, Brooke Castillo's brain is always working against us to protect us. It's trying to do its job. So there's nothing that's gone wrong. I don't want to alarm you that you need to go to a a brain doctor. This is really cool news because then it kind of explains a lot of the reasons why when people go after their goals and they have so much desire for the goal. I help people lose weight too. So I'll help people that I'll help someone that wants to lose 50 pounds and their desire is they will give anything. They would pay a million dollars to solve the 50 pound problem. I help parents who are yelling at their kids and they, they're like, Kelly, I will do anything. And I mean, anything. What I'll write you a check. I'll give me the pill. Give me the doctor. I will do anything. I'll search the ends of the earth. Just tell me what I need to do. Or I'll help people in their marriages to have more connection and more fun and more love and less brother, sister, roommate kind of relationship. And so I have people that come to me with these huge goals and so much desire and their hearts are just so beautiful and so pure and so raw and there's so much suffering. And so I'll give them the script. I'll give them the workout plan. I'll give them the meal plan. I'll give them all the things. I'll give them the support. I'll give them the accountability. I'll give them proof after proof after proof that it works. Look, it worked on this person. Look, it worked on this person. Look, this person had the same body that you have right now and look at it now. 60 days later, 90 days later, and they're so ready. And then that, that, that peters out. And it always confused me why it peters out, why the yelling stops for two weeks and then it feels amazing, but then it starts up again. Or why they lose the 20 pounds and then they write me and they're like, thank you, I've lost 20 pounds, I feel amazing. But I think it's probably just water weight. I'm like, what are you talking about? I've never drank 20 pounds of water. They always have the disclaimer. Or my kids are really getting along. I wonder how long that's going to last. My husband and I have a great week of lots of fun, but the other shoe's going to drop any minute. And all that is has nothing. And so they take that evidence and then they make it mean something bad about them, that they don't have motivation, they don't have willpower, or they're lazy, or they're procrastinator. And then they put all these labels all over themselves. So like, what are you doing? What are you doing? So I couldn't figure it out as their coach. I'm like, how can I help them take the action that they keep doing the same thing over and over? Why is it so strong in the beginning? And I realized that we have 60,000 thoughts a day. Each person, 60,000. And 80% of those thoughts default to the negative without mind management. 80 
So Oprah wakes up in the morning. You know what her brain says? You're, you're, who do you think you are? That's what her brain says every morning. This is from Oprah's lips. 80% goes to the negative and 95% of those thoughts are unconscious thoughts, meaning they've thought them so many times before. So they're just going to keep doing it again over and over and over, even if it's causing their own suffering, even if it's the extra 50 pounds, even if it's yelling at the kids, even if it's the distant marriage because the brain is always trying to stop us from growing. It doesn't like all this growth because the brain is like Play-Doh. When you're a child from like zero to 25, the brain is very malleable and very impressionable. So that's why I'm so passionate about helping kids because their brains are growing and developing and we are writing on the slate of who they are and we're creating new neural pathways in their brain. And a neural pathway is just like a ski slope down a, down a hill. It's the ski slope that we're creating and the newer neural pathways that we're creating because they don't have a clue about anything in life. So we are literally writing on their blank canvas. It's super cool. And so we have so much power, but we have to clean up the mess within our own hearts and our own inner chaos. So then we can project that onto them. And so the 95% of those unconscious thoughts are old thoughts, old thinking that maybe our parents told us to think that our coaches told us to think, our society, our coworkers, our peer group that we grew up with, our brothers and sisters, all those old thoughts as we were growing. And then as we grow up around 25, 28, the brain is kind of like, all right, it's fully developed. It's like, let's start coasting. Enough of this growth, enough of this is too much. And that's where the frustration sets in because the goals are so still so strong, but the actions aren't matching up. Because the brain, when it is fully developed like that, it wants three things. It wants to seek pleasure. It wants to avoid pain. And it be efficient. And it loves to coast. It loves to think the old thinking. And so new neural pathways, creating new neural pathways is really tricky. And so think about your brain is built into two parts. So think about your brain being like a computer. And the unconscious part of the brain is the wiring of your computer. It's the software. It's everything working behind the scenes. That's the unconscious part of the brain. That's the primitive part. It's like old thinking. It's all behind the scenes. It's like behind the curtain at a, at a play. It's all the work that goes on beyond backstage almost, not even behind the curtain, but even backstage. The key grip, the lighting, the sound, all behind the scenes. That's the unconscious thinking, which drives 95% of your thoughts. Okay, this is going to blow your mind. This is going to blow your brain, no pun intended. And so your conscious brain is the part of your computer where you're typing, you're opening up Word, you're sending an email, you're reading an email. That's the conscious part of the brain, which is pretty much 5% of our day of what, like brushing our teeth, we don't think about it. So what happens is anything that's put in our brain while it's growing and developing, that Play-Doh that I was talking about, that very malleable Play-Doh, now our brains are a little bit older. They're a little bit more fully formed. We have impressions. We have thoughts. We have opinions. We have a belief that was put there by somebody else or another experience. And so the unconscious brain is still working. And then the conscious brain isn't as strong. And now our brain is more like Play-Doh that's been left out overnight. It's pretty hard. It's like not as malleable. And so what happens is the unconscious brain does not know the difference between past, present, and future. 
So it's always trying to recreate an old wound in current time. What are you talking about? So when the brain is younger and malleable and impressionable and creating those neural pathways, it's very, very impressionable. You can probably remember what your third grade teacher told you when she embarrassed you in front of the class and you didn't know the answer. You can remember those things so vividly because your brain was growing and developing and then things happen. And pain is part of the human experience. So, of course, there's unresolved pain there because when we're a child, we don't know what to do with the pain. The pain could have been from our parents. The pain could have been from from an alcoholic father. The pain could have been from our third grade teacher. The pain could have been from a sibling. The pain could have been from abuse. It could have been trauma. So pain is definitely always going to be there. And then there's different levels of trauma. There's different levels of stress. There could have been a divorce when you were young while the brain was growing and developing. And the undeveloped brain doesn't know what to do with that stress. It doesn't know what to do with that pain. It doesn't know what to do with that trauma. So it kind of just packs it up in a little container, like a little box. And he's like, you know what? I don't really know what to do with this. I don't know what's going on with my parents. I don't know what's going on with my siblings or whatever that thing is that kind of comes up for you when I mention this. I don't really know what to do with this. And I can't really talk to anybody about it. Or maybe I can, but it doesn't really make sense because the brain, the children, the child's brain does not understand anything that's going on. So they kind of internalize it. So like if there's a divorce, usually the kids are like, ah, oh, this is probably my fault. They make their ego is so strong because they make everything about them, which is completely developmentally appropriate. It's not like they're selfish. It's not like they're self-centered. It's developmentally appropriate. And so the brain's like, well, this has to be our fault. This has to be our fault. The guilt and shame, guilt and shame. So it packs it away in that box. And so then when the brain gets older and developed around, you know, 35, 25, 45, and it says, all right, let's unpack that box now. It's still living there as residual pain. Let's unpack it. Let's see what that's all about. And it's all done on an unconscious level. And so how it recreates it and how it unpacks it, it doesn't unpack it when you're in the therapy office. Most people don't go to therapy. I think there's nothing wrong with therapy. A lot of parents tell me, I just want to raise my kids so they don't need therapy. And I'm like, "Uh, I want my kids to go to therapy, even if they have an awesome childhood, because I want them to always be self-aware and always be like ready to look within and see the pain. And the pain might not be caused by me or David, but it might be caused by an experience they had with a boyfriend or a teacher or a coach or someone who said something really cruel to them and it really affected them or a negative experience that they didn't really know how to process when they were younger. So I'm like all, all about it. I mean, I'm going to try to keep my side of the street clean, but I'm like, you know, I'll go to therapy with you. Let's figure this out. We're in this together. So that pain, the, the brain didn't know what to do with it when it was younger. So it tries to unpack it or it does unpack it when it, in the adult relationships and in adult in your vulnerability and in their relationship with ourselves. So it says, let's, I know we can't go back in history We can't go back in time, but let's recreate that pain through our marriage, the spouse that we choose. Let's recreate that pain through our children. Let's recreate that pain through our coworkers, or let's recreate that pain through our relationship with ourself. All that guilt and shame that you were stuffing for so long, and it's coming up now, instead of pushing it away, I encourage people to feel it and don't resist it because what you resist will only persist. And like Brooke Castillo says, it's like holding that beach ball underneath water. That causes more pain. And so 
what happens is the brain tries to recreate that old wound in current time to try to heal it. And it's all done subconsciously. So a lot of times this happens through our spouse and through our kids in our four walls. And it's mind boggling. Like, like the child who had an alcoholic father might be drawn to an alcoholic spouse. And you're thinking, why would they, they grew up with alcoholism. Why would they be drawn towards an alcoholic husband? And this is an extreme example, but this happens on much smaller scales too. And the reason why it's not because it feels familiar to them. It's because the little girl inside of that wife says, well, I couldn't get daddy to put the bottle down. I couldn't get daddy to stop drinking or come home or, and it could be the mom. I'm just using this as an example. And so I couldn't get, as a little girl, I couldn't get it. So now subconsciously, I'm going to recreate that relationship with my husband and I'm going to hopefully make him put it down, make him come home, make him stop drinking. And then as you all know, how the story usually keeps going is that's trying to control another human being and their free will is 150% impossible. And that's what I would love everyone just to recognize and reconcile with that it is 150,000% impossible to control another human being. You can control the babies until they're about mm, 18 months old. And then it's like the free will takes over and it's supposed to take over. It's supposed, they're supposed to have opinions. You want that. You want them to develop their inner voice. How are they going to develop their inner voice when they're 18? If they can't at 18 months, can't decide to help put on their shoes. So what happens is we re-injure ourselves over and over and over and we blame the husband. We blame the husband versus understanding why we were even drawn to the husband in the first place. And that's a large example and that's a large scale example, but it happens on a much smaller example too. Because sometimes if we felt muted as a child or we felt like not heard or not seen a lot, then when our child slams the door, it it triggers that old wound of not feeling seen and not feeling heard. It's an actual door being slammed in our face, just like we felt when we were younger. And so that muted feeling that we felt and we didn't say anything, now we have some place to, we have some place to send that. We have some place to unleash that pain. And that's where I I hear so many parents tell me, Kelly, I just lost it. I didn't even know who was talking anymore. It was like I was seeing red and I didn't even know who I was screaming at. And then I came out of the fog and it was, there was my three-year-old. How did that happen? That happened because the unconscious brain was trying to heal the old wound in current time. And when you know this, it's so super empowering because then you don't have to use your children as a pawn to heal an old wound. They're so helpless and so impressionable. We don't want to continue the pattern. We don't want to take it out on our husbands because it's so anticlimactic. It doesn't heal anything. It just re-triggers the new relationship. And so instead of trying to heal it through our kids and with our kids and using them almost as our, as our pawn, we do that separate of them. And that's where the inner work comes from. And that's why I love the conscious parents so much because it brought up so much for me that was laying dormant that I didn't even know. And I had read a lot of books. We waited a long time to have kids or actually it was not our choice to wait, but it took us about six years of trying and in vitro and miscarriages and a lot of heartache and a lot of pain. So I had a lot of time to prepare and a lot of time to read. And then I had to read so many books for my master's and so many books for my counseling degree. And so, and I went to so many conferences and I had so much experience with kids. And so 
I read all the books, but it wasn't making any sense to me why parenting was so hard for me. And so the conscious parent really helped me understand how much unconscious, subconscious thinking that was going on. That that 90, 95% of the thinking was happening so much. And I didn't even know it, even though I had read all the books. And that's why this book was like the game changer and the secret sauce for me. Because I realized as a teacher, I was very conscious and I was very, I had no ego with the students. That's why it was so easy for me because I could see the child as having a hard time versus giving me a hard time. So I did so much inner work and I'm always doing inner work. This is always a journey and never a destination. And I really want to get that through to the people that were like me, like the obsessed, where's the finish line? Where's the finish line? Where's the finish line? The overachievers, the type A, I need the answers. I need them all now. Like, tell me, tell me, tell me. And so I am here to tell you that the answers are always in your children. The answers are always in what brings up the most most emotion for you. And instead of giving into that trigger, feel the trigger and investigate it and get super curious. When something comes up for me, instead of reacting and using my kids as a pawn to heal that old wound, I'm like, ooh, I wonder what that brought up such big feelings for me. What's that all about? I get super curious. And you can do this with your coworkers. Whoever's bringing up a big emotion get super curious instead of super defensive and super, you know, the yelling and the screaming doesn't solve anything. Just get curious. And this is not about blaming mom and dad or your third grade teacher, your baseball coach that sat you on the bench. It's not about blaming them. It's about understanding it because like Maya Angelou says, when you know better, you do better. So you're not continuing the same old, same old, and you can create your own recipe, your own happy home, your own harmony in your own home. You can create your own four walls and create your own Saturn, which we're going to talk about in another episode, which is super cool. And it's like passing on a recipe. Like my parents growing up, they, my mom always made this tater tot hot dish. It was so good. Let me think of the recipe. It had, um, it had tater tots, obviously it had, I think it was rice. Yeah. Rice, cream and mushroom soup and something else. What am I missing mom? Oh, and corn. And so she passed on that recipe to me and I loved it. It was amazing. And I pass it on now and I cook it and I make it. And so if you had recipes that you loved, recreate them, pass them on. If there were recipes that you didn't like and didn't feel good, there's no reason to keep making those same recipes over and over and over because then you're just passing on that recipe to the next generation, the next generation, the next generation. So you literally get to break the pattern to break the cycle. And so when I did this inner work on myself to figure out what was coming up for me that was causing me so much stress and anxiety and fear-based parenting, I think a lot of it came from, I think in my, I would say there was three areas that really, really, for me, was making me act like a crazy lady with my kids complete crazy lady. I didn't recognize myself. And that's why I was so disappointed all the time. Cause I was like, I don't even recognize who I am. Like, why are these little, little miracles that we prayed for and begged for causing me so much reaction? And I realized that because it took us so long to get pregnant and that was like in our twenties. So the brain was still growing and developing and creating a lot of subconscious thoughts, a lot of unconscious thinking because it took us so long during, and it was, you know, quote unquote, my fault. It was my fallopian tubes were clogged, I guess for lack of a better word, that's not very medical, but that's why in vitro worked the second time we tried. Um, so during that time, 
I've carried so much guilt and shame, guilt and shame, guilt and shame. And I wasn't doing any of this work yet. So all this unconscious thinking was happening. Like, what if I'm not meant to be a mom? What if I'm just meant to be a teacher? What if I'm just meant to be a really good school counselor? What if I'm just meant to be a, like a boys and girls club counselor? And what if I'm not meant to be in the mom club? What if David married the wrong woman? Because if he didn't marry me, then he would have, he would be a dad right now. Because I wanted to see him as a dad as much as I wanted to experience the motherhood journey. So a lot of that pain, so much pain. And I never resolved it. I never, you know, took care of it. I didn't even know it was even laying there until the conscious parent. And so when I had Lily and Grady and they would act out, which they're supposed to do, they're figuring out their way. When that would happen, the reason why it caused such a big reaction was because the little voice in the back of my head, the ego, the unconscious thinking, that 95% of my thoughts was still whispering to me, maybe you're not meant to be a mom. Maybe you're just meant to be a teacher. Maybe you're just meant to be a counselor. So imagine carrying those thoughts in the background while I'm raising two little babies that I love more than life itself. And the love feels vulnerable, so vulnerable and so strong and so real and so raw in a way that I've never experienced a feeling of love before. I was so enmeshed and codependent and I needed to do it right because if I didn't do it right, then I was going to be a failure. And how could I fail after all this praying and I don't want to let David down. I don't want to let them down and all this pressure I was putting on myself. How am I supposed to live in that mindset of lack? Because if you're coming from a place of lack, your brain is only going to search for more lack. And that's what I did. And so if they didn't share a toy, that little voice unconsciously never was, it was never, you never heard it come out of my mouth. It was all in the background. What if you're not meant to be a mom? What if you're just meant to be a teacher? What if you're just meant to be a really good school counselor? Was always playing in the background. And so once I resolved that, and not even, it wasn't even like I had to lay on a therapy couch and talk to someone about it. It was like, oh, that's where that old, that's why I'm having such big, such big reactions. And then also as a teacher and a counselor and a behavior specialist, I dealt with some severe behavior problems. So when I was dealing with those severe behavior problems and they're pulling me down to the ground, they're spitting on me, they're throwing their chairs, they're having, you know, they're running away. Unconsciously, I would tell myself, oh, I am never raising a Marcus. I'm never raising a Heather. I'm never, I could, I could name you all the children who I love dearly. They caused me so much emotion and stress. And like, I was so worried about them. And unconsciously I was telling myself, you better not do that. You better not go down that route. Cause you're going to, you're going to make that teacher super stressed out. I never wanted to make my kids be stressful to someone else. So if they acted up at school or they cried a lot in preschool, I was always more concerned about the teacher than I was about them. Cause the teacher would report to me like they cried a lot today, which was literally the report every day with Lily. And then Grady was, you know, throwing things. And I'm like, how, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I was so embarrassed and so ashamed of for myself. Like, what are they thinking of me? And even more, I was worried like for them, like, oh my gosh, they're going to go home and this is going to cause them to stress out and um, talk to their husband. And they're going to talk to their husband about my child. Like what? 
So I was so unconsciously thinking all that because during all the stressful times of working with those students that were so high needs and so the severe behavior problems, unconsciously, I was telling myself, you better never, ever go down that road of raising a child like that, that acts out all the time and is super stressful to the teacher, the counselor, the principal in trouble. So, you know, Lily's two years old and she doesn't share a toy. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm raising a, I'm raising a Heather. And my reaction was so strong. I got to nip this in the bud right now. No, no, no. But it was all unconscious thinking. I didn't even know it was there. So I think that was the second thing that was really playing in the background that I didn't even know. And once I read the book, I was like, oh my goodness, no way. Are you kidding me? And then my third unconscious kind of pillar, I would say, was if you if you follow me on Facebook or Instagram or stories or any of it, you have met my parents virtually. And I, as a child, thought they walked on water and I'm pretty sure at my age now, I think they pretty much walk on water um, and they just still haven't told me. But I, I did think it and I do think it because they're just incredible human beings. They were then and they are now and they just, I just love our relationship then and I love our relationship now. And so unconsciously, you think, oh, well, that's great, Kelly. They're lucky you. But it actually worked against me because I put such self-imposed pressure on myself to be just like my mom because she was so incredible, so relaxed, so awesome, and be just like my dad because he's just a great human being like my mom. So I put this all self-imposed pressure on myself. And then David's parents are amazing, so I'm like, I got to be like them too. So I, I didn't even have my inner voice because I was trying to be so much like my mom and my dad and David's parents that when Lily or Grady would do something or Lily would say, I hate you, or Grady would spit at me, I was like, well, this isn't how my parents did it. I must be doing it wrong. I used them as my barometer again and my report card. And it was all unconscious thinking because I didn't even, I don't even remember what was happening when I was five, but I romanticized it so much that I had to recreate it exactly as they did it, even though I don't even remember how they did it. It just felt easy and light. So I was just like, why is this feeling easy and light like when I was a kid? And so all that pressure I was putting on myself, it was all unconscious thinking. I didn't even know it was there. And that's why I love this book so much because it was like such an awakening. And our next book was called The Awakened Heart or The Awakened Family. I was like, well, that's what's happened. And I remember her saying in her second book, your children do not always have to be happy. And it was like lightning bolt slash she, I had a, barbell on my chest and she just took a hundred pound barbell off my chest because it was such a weight lifted off my shoulders. And that's where the emotional literacy came in. We're like, oh, I want them to experience negative and complex emotions. I don't need them to feel happy all the time because it's my job now to teach them what to do with the complex emotions. So then they know what to do, just like when they're reading a book, they know what to do with a word they don't know. And they know what to do. They know what to do with an emotion when they don't know. And there's sometimes they're going to be reading a book and they're going to get to an, a word they don't know. And that's okay. They're going to have to have Alexa or they're just going to skip the word or they're going to have to ask me. They're going to ask a friend. They're going to see what the friend said the word was. And that's okay. They don't know what the word is. Same thing with emotional literacy. They're going to get to emotion that they don't know what, what to do with it. And that's okay. Because I'm 44 years old and there's a lot of times I get to emotion. And I'm like, I don't hutch out. I don't know what to do with this one. And that's why we seek friendships and that's why we seek people that are like us. So in like-minded like us, so we can see well, what do they do? What do they do with those complex emotions? Because this is a word I don't really know what to do with. And this is emotion I don't know what to do with. So like, that's why we lean on each other. 
So I just want to give you so much hope and so much, I promise on a stack of Bibles, there's nothing wrong with your children and there's nothing wrong with you. It's kind of like realizing that like, there's just, instead of making something mean something bad about you or you have anger issues or there's, there's something wrong with your child and they have this diagnosis or they, it doesn't even matter the diagnosis. The diagnosis is exactly what it's meant to be to help you grow where you need to grow. There are the exact spirit that you need in your life right now. Nothing has gone wrong. Like Tony Robbins says, life is always happening for you and it's never happening to you. But a lot of times we get in this victim villain mentality where we're the victim and our children are the villain or we're the victim and our husband's the villain. And I always remind parents, I'm like, I don't know about you, but like everyone I know, there's no arranged marriages going on around here. We chose this spouse for a reason and they chose us for a reason. So instead of doing the victim villain dance, let's do the, we're in this together. What can we learn from each other dance? And these children, they were handpicked by God for you to teach you about your undeveloped self. That's really good news because there's nothing wrong with you and there's nothing wrong with them. And there's nothing even wrong with your brain. I, re- I use the analogy of it's like, it's like, you remember, you know, like when you wake up in the morning and you have to, um, you get, you go to your, your app store, let's say, and it says you have like 42 updates. You're like, what? And you're, let's say it's your, I love the app, um, word swag. So word swag needed an app update the other day. And I'm like, what word swag needs an update. Word swag's working great. There's nothing wrong with word swag. I love word swag. And I'm kind of like, that's weird. But of course I hit update because I don't like that big red number. So I hit the update and then I open up Upswag, Upswag, Word Swag a day later. And then there's like these new features and there's like little, the colors are a little sharper and there's more font choices and there's better images that I can choose from as the background. I'm like, oh, Word Swag, look at you. You were awesome before and you're awesome now. And so that's the same thing that happens with our brain and growing and developing It's that every single day we need to update our apps of our brain every single day. And it's not that something was wrong yesterday. It's that we're just going to update it. There was some thought errors. There was some bugs in the app. So we're just going to clean it up. We're just going to update the app. We're going to update the brain. And every day life gets a little bit brighter. The fonts are a a little bit cooler. And there's more pictures to choose from because nothing's changed in your life, but everything starts to change because we change the way we look at it. It's like LASIK vision for our lives every single day when we work on the unconscious thinking. So that's why I'm super, super passionate about the miracle mornings. Because when you wake up in the morning, that's when the brain is most malleable. That's when the brain is like, the unconscious brain never sleeps. And the unconscious brain doesn't know the difference between past, present, and future. So that's why it's always trying to create that old wound in current time. Because it still thinks that five-year-old pain is now in our 50-year-old body. Like, let's recreate it, recreate it. And that's why it feels like Groundhog's Day. Like, why do I keep doing the same thing over and over and over? And the brain, like I said, doesn't like, it likes to seek pleasure, avoid pain and be efficient. So it doesn't like all this change. It doesn't like working out. It doesn't like starting a new meal plan. It starts to self-sabotage itself because it's like, well, we've been hurt before going down this road. So instead of getting hurt, let's hurt ourselves on purpose. And that's exactly what the brain does. Your brain, my brain, my husband's brain, your husband's brain, your neighbor's brain, Oprah's brain, Tony Robbins' brain, Brooke Castillo's brain, 
every single day it wakes up and her brain says, it's never going to last. You can't keep up this pace. That's what her brain says every day. I wake up every morning. My brain says, stop, just stop playing. So just play small. Let's just, why you, why do you, why, why Kelly, why do you keep going? Why do you keep putting yourself out there so vulnerably? And we wake up with this vulnerability hangover. Why Kelly, stop. Every single day it wakes up and says that. And I'm like, I see you brain. And I become friends with it. And I honor and I tell my kids about it. So then they're aware, they're aware of it and they're wary of it when they get older. And so when you first wake up in the morning, you'll realize that your unconscious brain is on full alert. That's where your dreams come from. Grady had a pool accident a couple years ago. He fell in the pool and he hit his chin and we had to go to the hospital and there were stitches and lots of blood and it was super stressful. And they had an MRI, make sure there's no brain damage. It was like one of those days that you're like, I just don't ever want to experience that again. And I had bad dreams about it for like a week. I kept having, they kept recreating that over and over. I was like seeing Grady fall in the pool and the trip to the hospital and the crying and the Lily crying and calling David. And I was on my way to a funeral for a dear friend's mother. And I had to call them to let them know I wasn't coming. And I felt so much guilt. I like, it all just kept playing out in these dreams. I'm like, what is going on? And I, and that, what was going on was the brain was like, that was a very painful experience. I didn't know how to handle it. I still don't. So we're going to have some dreams about it to try to sort through it, try to process it, to try to heal that wound in current time. And that's normal. You don't beat your brain up about it. You're like, I know. Thank you, brain, for trying to heal that wound. That really stunk in it. And so when you first wake up, your brain is the most malleable. It's like that soft Play-Doh as a kid. Because I, I get up early and I... The first thing I do, I'm praying, I'm meditating, I'm listening to personal development. I'm re- I'm I'm listening to meditation where it's telling me positive thinking and it's it's looking at my children while they're sleeping. It's saying thank you God over and over and over. I probably say thank you 5000 times before in the first 25 minutes because the brain is like the unconscious brain where I can't usually get to the access to the behind the behind the scenes. I can't usually get access backstage. That's when I can get access backstage at the play. It's much harder to do it at noon because the old thinking comes up. So I'm I'm tackling that unconscious brain very, very early where I'm praying and I'm meditating, I'm journaling, I'm spending time and quiet time and listening to my own thinking. Because so many times we don't we wake up and the unconscious brain is in full alert. That's like the that's like the prime time. And then we get on our phones and go on Facebook. And then our unconscious brain is now playing, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. Look what she's doing. Look what he's doing. Look at that bikini. I don't look in like that. I, that marriage is better than mine. And it's like, then it just gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And the anxiety depression is skyrocketing because people are waking up when their unconscious brain is in full alert. And they're just going straight to Facebook, straight to Instagram, straight to their phones, straight to stress. And they don't get any time to like sharpen their saw and like connect with their own heart. And I always say log out of all of everything the night before so you can log in to your own heart and your own thinking in the morning. That's why I love exercising in the morning because let all those endorphins hit the unconscious. I just want to hit the unconscious as hard as I can. And then another thing people do is they go from the phone and they go to the scale. So it's like that not good enough just gets stronger and stronger every single day instead of being mindful of what is going on those first 30 to 60 minutes of our day because that's when the brain is in full alert and thinking about our thinking. And that's when we can think like I wake up and I can't even shut off. We've lived in this house for seven, eight years. I can't even shut off the 
the alarm because my conscious brain is still so asleep. And that just shows me how much my brain is so malleable at that time because my unconscious brain is, I mean, I have ideas. I lay in bed. I'm like, thank you, God. Thank you, God. I touch David on the shoulder. I'm like, thank you, God, for this beautiful soul that you've given to me to teach me where I need to grow. Let me love him in the way that he needs to be loved and drop my ego and just be vulnerable because I know vulnerability breeds vulnerability. So I can, and I'm, this is all just chatter, just flying out of me. It's just, and I'll come up with ideas. I'll come up with the podcast ideas. I'll come up with something that just, it just, it just flows out of me. Sometimes I'll have a sticky note next to my bed. Cause I'm just like, it's just flowing. It's just flowing. It's just flowing. Just let it all, let it all. Cause I've been practicing this for so long. And then I go in the kids' rooms and I do the same thing. And I'm doing that because when they wake up, then my energy towards them is thank you. Thank you. And my energy is soft and it's warm and it's vulnerable. It's not get your shoes on. Let's go. Let's go. It's not just do, do, do. It's like, let's just be, be, be. And you can still do the do while you're in the be, if that makes sense. So I'm doing a lot of doing, but I'm also, there's so much be within the doing. I'm so present because I'm so detached from all of it. I'm almost like in the helicopter in my own life, kind of watching from afar. I'm kind of the in, behind the camera. I'm behind the camera of the the million million people watching. I'm like watching from afar. What are they seeing in me? How can I love them more? How can I, and not how can I love them more in this like doormatty way? Like please me, please me, please me, love me, love me, love me. It's the exact opposite. It's like how can I love them because it feels good to love them. They don't have to do anything in return. How can I just be vulnerable with my love for them? And how can I show up for them in the way that they need? So I really want you to understand how the brain works. And I don't want you to push away the negative thinking. I want you to actually think about your thinking and don't believe everything that you think. That's the coolest thing. All thoughts are optional. I remember hearing that from Brooke. I was like, say what? Because what we do is we put the, we put the emotions in the driver's seat. And I'm telling everybody to put the thinking in the driver's seat, put the thoughts in the driver's seat. Because when you put your thoughts in the driver's seat, the circumstances are all neutral. Your children, they're completely neutral. There's nothing good, bad, or different. There's all awesomeness about them. And what Brooke teaches is the circumstance is always neutral. And we turn it into negative or positive based on our thoughts. And then our thoughts drive our feelings, which drives our actions, which drives our results. So when you control that T in the thought line, you control the universe. So if you're a controlling person like I am, controlling those thoughts, you will control your life. And you'll see everything around you accepting the as is, the as is. Dr. Shefali says that over and over and over in her book. And that's probably one of the greatest lessons she taught me was to drop the agenda, drop the manuals, drop the expectations, and just accept the as is of every single moment. I used to have a lot of expectations and agenda when the kids would get in the car after school. Because I work from home and I'm just like, you know, now I'm in the energy cycle, so I can't wait to see them. And I'm just like, I can't wait to pick them up. I can't wait to see their faces. I can't wait to hear about their day. And so I am just like ready to go. I'm ready to connect. I'm ready to play. I'm ready to bond, ready to like, I just love to play with them and just talk and laugh. They don't always get in the car with that same energy. They're like, Hey mom. And so I just accept the as is the as is sometimes they get in the car. They're like, Oh my God, the best thing ever happened. Today. You won't believe it. Sometimes they get in the day and they're like, that's the worst day ever. And sometimes they get in the car and they're just like, Hey mom, how was your day? Great. Okay. Just everything was just a, a normal day. And that normalcy is what I lean into now versus having expectations of just accepting the as is of every single moment. 
And so when you can accept the as is and drop all the agenda and drop all the control and drop the expectations and just know that every single moment is happening for you and not to you, that's when life gets really fun. Because whatever you tell your brain to focus on, it's only going to magnify that. So that's why I spend so much time with the unconscious thinking in the morning because I'm telling my brain, I want you to find gratitude and joy and happiness all day today. I want you to find it in the even in the messy moments. I want you to find it when I'm doing laundry. I want you to find it when the kids are crying, that I'm the one chosen to hold the space for them. Brain, today, this is what I want you to look for. And our brains are kind of like metal detectors on the beach. If you tell it to look for stress and anxiety and strong-willed children and kids who aren't listening, it will find it. If you tell the brain to look for gratitude and joy and and everything's happening for me, not to me, then it will find that. Because like Tony Robbins says, wherever your focus goes, your energy flows. And that's always, always true because it always happens with our thinking. So I just want you to remember that, that nothing has gone wrong. Your brain is doing exactly what it needs to be doing. And so it just needs a little bit more mind management, just needs a little bit choosing of those 60,000 thoughts. We get to choose every single thought of those 60,000. That's pretty cool. Because like I said, the thoughts drive your feelings, which drive your actions, which drive your results. And that's when life gets really fun because you the model isn't meant to always feel happiness and happy, 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 happy. It's like, oh, you're feeling sad. That's totally cool. I felt that way sometimes too before. It's totally normal. And that's part of the human experience. And let's do that together. So please, please, please let me know how this resonates with you, how this connects with you. I can't recommend the book enough. There's, I could do a 7,000 hour. I've been to all of our events. I've watched every single YouTube. I mean, there's just no way I could possibly summarize her amazing work in a podcast and what it's done to our family. Because a lot of times we get the book and we get the information and we get the concepts, but we don't apply it. And that's where we like shoot ourselves in the foot. Like we get all this stuff and then we don't apply it. We almost get like stuck. But I'm just like, let it all happen. It's happening exactly the way it's supposed to happen. And when you think of your life that way, you're like, oh, this is my teacher. This is my class. Here's my professor. The professor could be a three-year-old or it could be their 33-year-old coworker that's driving you bonkers. That's the class that you're in that you're supposed to be in. And you're going to have to keep repeating the class over and over and over and go to summer school and Saturday class and have the breakfast club at Saturday unless you pay attention to the teacher and learn what you're supposed to learn. And then you can go to the next class. And there's, there's always going to be a class. And sometimes it's your child, sometimes it's your husband, sometimes it's your mother-in-law, sometimes it's your, I get a lot of, lot of emails about mother-in-laws and sister-in-laws. Sometimes it's them and they're your teacher. And instead of being like, I can't believe she, blah, blah, and talking to your girlfriend about it, be like, thank you. Thank you, daughter of mine. Thank you, sister-in-law. Thank you, mother-in-law. Thank you, father who wasn't there for me. Thank you for being my teacher because pain is our biggest portal for growth. And so it's always happening for us and not to us. Just like when we go to the gym and we lift weights, we're supposed to break down the muscles so the muscles can get stronger. So we get out of this victim mentality and poor me and blame, shame, and it's all their fault. Because when we say it's all their fault, guess who gets all the power? Them. And guess who's changes? Not them. So it's just the perspective in which we see that lens and that LASIK that we see our lives through. 
So please, please, please let me know how this resonates with you and please share it with someone that you think can help because I want to help create new neural pathways. I want to pretend like you're um, a, an Olympic athlete and you're in that doing that sport called curling. You know, like when they're they're trying to move the puck along the path and then they have to scrub away. Like that scrubbing is what we do every single day with our unconscious thinking. And then the unconscious thinking comes becomes the conscious thinking. And then you kind of forget, like I forget that there's negative people in the world and I'll run into them. I'm like, oh, I forgot there's negative people where there used to be negative people all the time because I, my brain was unmanaged. So I was drawing them into my life, but I wasn't taking the class and I just kept repeating it over and over and over. And it's super cool because then that's your new normal. And then that creates a new normal for your relationship and for your relationship with your kids. So please share this with someone that you love and I love you. And thank you for always, always, always being here to hold the space with me. And I'm crazy, crazy proud of all of you for working so hard on yourselves and giving me so much love and feedback back. It's just so humbling and so empowering. And it definitely, definitely, definitely reminds me that we are on the right track and we are in this together. This is not Kelly is your expert. I'm nowhere. I'm not above you. We are locking arms and locking hearts and doing this together. So I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Hey, mamas, thanks for listening. If you had any ahas, clicks, or those lightning bolt moments while listening, you have to check out my free parenting bootcamp where we take all of this to the next level and we try to create even more awakenings for ourselves so that we can connect more with our kids and never yell at them again. You can sign up at www.coachingkelly.com. And if you really want to fill up my love cup, send me an email of what your aha was, what your click was, what was that lightning bolt resonating moment while you were listening. I want nothing more in life than for you to have harmony in your home and to learn how to be an imperfect mom like me, which allows your kids to be imperfect too each and every day. Thanks for listening.